Welcome to the New Hope Sermon of the Week. We hope you are encouraged by this message by our special guest speaker. So to give you a little preface, um, I am in a very interesting season of my life. So to let you into my life, to let you in to my journey of what I've been doing over the past couple months, I have started like a postgraduate clinical program to become addiction therapist. It, it takes 2,000 hours of clinical study, 270 hours in a classroom, plus oral boards, written boards, and that's after a master's degree. So I'm like right in the thick of the stress of life right now. But what I wanna do this morning is I wanna talk to you guys about addiction. Can you say addiction? See, I probably had like 20 people say addiction. Okay, you, you checked out. This doesn't belong to me. This, this message is for the drug addict. It's for the alcoholic. It's for the heroin addict. It's for the cocaine addict. It's for what psychologists, psychiatrists, medical doctors call substance use disorder. This message is for them. No, it's not. This message is for all of us this morning. Because with the help of the Holy Spirit, my goal this morning, what I aim to do through the text, through the Spirit, through what the Bible calls the foolishness of preaching, because it comes through an imperfect man who also struggles with addiction, but I'm going to prove to you, hopefully, that you also struggle with addiction. It might not be substance abuse addiction, the way that we normally educate our children, just say no to drugs. But see, we all are born with this addiction to God. And it's called worship. We're all created to worship something. We're all created to worship Yahweh the Father. But the problem is, once we left this relationship in the garden, as Pastor Tom talked about in his writing to us this morning, our worship to God was exchanged for the worship to creation, the worship of yourself. And see, what I aim to do this morning is I just want to level the playing field. I want to level the gossipers. I want to level the spirit of criticism. I want to take out the elder brothers, and I want to prove to you this morning that, yes, we all have a prodigal within us, but we also all have a Pharisee within us. We all have this need for approval. It's called approval addiction. And we also have a, a need to please our flesh. And some of us choose drugs or choose alcohol. A lot of us in here, statistics say 60 to 70% of the men, yes, in this room are addicted to pornography right now. Sex addiction. Codependency is a type of relationship addiction. What about an addiction to ministry? Uh-oh. What about an addiction to your business, to success, where you spend more hours in front of the computers, more hours in the closet trying to pray to God about how he's going to increase your business when your children are out in the living room crying out for the love of a father. We're all addicts, and I know that might make you cringe, but what we call addicts, the Bible calls worship. And see, worship in the right form with the right definition, is supposed to be directed at God. See, it's directed at God, but it targets us. I love it, because it's like a boomerang. We direct our worship at the Father, and it comes back, and it transforms us in the process. But when it's not directed at God, 
And it's directed to what we love more than God. Then we spend our life destroying ourselves. So we hurt a relationship. So what I want to prove today is you might not have ever touched a cigarette in your life, an alcoholic beverage in your life. You've never touched cannabis, cocaine, name it. And that's awesome. I pray that you don't. I pray that you live a life of abstinence and holiness and consecration before the Father. But you have something in you that's driving you. You have a hole that the Bible calls hollow that I will begin to define through the text. And it's causing you to seek other things other than the Father because all of our hearts, we have holes in our hearts. The Bible says in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, it says that God has put eternity in our hearts. So we have this eternity in our hearts that can only be filled with God. So there's this eternal hole that we all have within us. And what's, what's tragic is we spend our life trying to fill it with everything but God. That's called addiction. Uh-oh. I know. I ain't talking to Restoration House. And I ain't talking to True Purpose. I'm talking to you. Because you can just be just as lost in the pew as you are in the pig pen. Uh-oh. Uh See, I, I'm already started. Scald. We need water on the face this morning. All right, you ready for this? So let's define addiction. What is addiction? Let's go to Romans chapter 7. We'll start at verse 14. See, when many, many people talk about addiction, we've gone over this. But they're usually referring to the harmful behavior associated with substance abuse. Most of us, we think that. We think about the homeless person. We think about the person in rehab. We might think about our own child. We might think about a friend that's wayward or someone that spends their life in the bar. But Paul says an addiction is something that you continue to do that you know is wrong. Romans 7, verse 14. We know that the law is spiritual. But I am carnal, sold under sin. For what I'm doing, I do not understand. For what I do, what I will to do, that I do not practice. But what I hate, that I do. If then I do what I will not want to do, I agree with the law that is good. But now it is no longer I who do it, but the sin that dwells in me. For I know that in me that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells. For to will is present with me, but how to perform what is good, I do not find. Looks like our apostle is kind of struggling with an addiction. <laughs> Uh-oh. See, the, the theologians, they, 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 they argue if Paul was talking about when he was under the law here in Romans 7, or a lot of theologians, they say, oh, well, it, or is this the normal, everyday experience for the life of the Christian? Are, are, we, are we truly sold under the power of sin even after we've been delivered by Jesus? And the answer is yes and no. Jesus has delivered us from sin, but we have sin in the flesh that Paul talks about that is driving us. And that's where the cravings are and the triggers are at. And that's where the, the hollowness in your heart is crying out for something to fill me. See, so your heart is broken. It's broken the moment you come into the world because Romans 5, we read it earlier. Sin came into the world by one man. We cannot blame a good God for the sin problem. Look in the mirror, we blame ourselves for the sin problem. It says it came through Adam. But we spend our life saying, fill me. Just fill me. Fill me. And see, some of y'all are more addicted to social media than you are addicted to anything. 
Listen, they're start, I promise you they're starting IOP groups for Facebook, Instagram, TikTok addiction. I saw it a few years ago. I said, that's crazy. And then I look at my screen time at the end of the week and I'm like, I'm crazy. <laughs> that's an addiction. Some of us, we go from alcohol to cigarettes and we have an encounter with Jesus and then we gain, I'm gonna say, 200 pounds. That's an addiction. Some of us, we came, I'm gonna go over all this briefly. We came from a broken home and, and see, we spent our life making sure our parents were okay. And it's like we were living in their world. All we heard about is their problems at work, their problems in marriage, them fight with their spouse. And we're in the back seat of the car and subliminally something goes on in the, the mind of a child and we're like, well, I'm just living in their worlds. So all, now our life revolves around whether they're okay or not. That's how a child becomes a codependent adult. And a codependency is being addicted to a relationship. I see it all the time. People come out of recovery, people come out of high school, people come out of college, and there's something driving them and they know the drugs is gonna take them to a bad place and yet they get addicted to a person and their whole life revolves around that one person whether that person is okay that's codependency and then we have gambling addiction we have all these types of addictions so Paul in Romans 7 is, 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 is kind of articulating what all of us go through before Christ and even after Christ and what's interesting the answer to Romans 7 is you can't find spirit in one part until Romans chapter 8, and it's mentioned over 17 times. So an addiction stays an addiction when you live your life without the governance of the Spirit of God. When you live your life in your own ability to maintain your own self-control, and that's impossible because just when you thought you were good and when you thought you had enough clean time or would, you haven't looked at pornography in four months, something comes up through the broken heart and then you find yourself in a sin cycle. And you know what happens? You become hopeless. There's no hope. So the first thing I wanna teach you this morning, first thing I want you to see is addiction, it becomes a part of your identity. It becomes a part of your identity. What do you mean by that? I'm not, listen, I'm not knocking AA or NA. I'm not doing it. But I find it very interesting that Bill Johnson, Dr. Bob, Bill Johnson on his deathbed, the guy that came up with it, he asked for a drink multiple times. And it's in the nurse's notes. So like AA is cool as long as Yahweh is the higher power. As long as God is the higher power. And see, I have no problem acknowledging that we have an issue. I have no problem acknowledging that, yeah, my name's Matt Johnson and I have been an opiate addict. My name's Matt Johnson and I have been a cocaine addict. But that's not who I am anymore because it's not part of my identity. It's not who I am and it's not who you are. And see, the greatest fallacy I see in that movement is the principles are great. But the moment you say, my name is Matt Johnson in present tense, I am this, I am an addict, I am an alcoholic, then you attach that to your identity and God forbid if something cataclysmic happens, 
God forbid if you lose a family member, you lose a job, what's the one thing that the adversary is going to put on the forefront of your mind? You're an addict, so it becomes your crutch to fail. If this is who you think you are, then you're just going to continue to do that. You ever met a person that has come in out of AA and they smoke like 50,000 packs of cigarettes a day? <laughs> come, hey, come on. Y'all got to quit acting like third cousins of Jesus in here and let's, come on. Come on, we all know people. What is that called? It's called cross addiction. When you move from one thing to the next. And see, we're all cross addictors. We are all cross addictors. We go from one issue to the next. And it is amazing, once we get freedom in one area, then the Holy Ghost points his finger on another area. The Holy Spirit is constantly pointing out things called addictions that are coming in between you and God. Constantly. And it's amazing, once we conquer one through the power of Jesus, then another one just pops up. <laughs> it's always something happening within us. So let's talk about Luke 15. I'm not, listen, I've preached on it a thousand times in here, but I want to show you something. So go to Luke 15, and we're going to look, we're going to look at verse 11 through 13, and we're going to just skip around a little bit because I only got a little bit of time this morning. Luke chapter 15, verse 11. Then a certain man had two sons. How many sons did he have? He had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided to them his livelihood. Look at verse 13. Look what the younger son did. And not many days later, the younger son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living. This is the drug addict. This is the drug addict that we all call the drug addict in Scripture. If you've been in any type of recovery group, celebrate recovery, even in the church, you've heard this parable preached a thousand times. Probably by me. <laughs> so this is the prodigal. This is the younger brother. This is the guy that struggles with addiction. This is what our mind normally goes to when we think about addiction. Prodigal living, wasteful living, losing everything, but this is not the only addict in this story. <laughs> the younger son gets the bad rap. But listen, the older son was just as lost as the younger son. So let's just read about the older son real quick. The older son was in the field, verse 25. And he came and drew near to the house and he heard m music and dancing. So he called one of the servants, asked what these things meant. Because remember, the father had two sons. One left, drug addict, wasted everything. The other stayed home. The other stayed in his father's house. So he heard music and dancing. He asked the servants in verse 26, what's going on here? The servant told him, your brother has come, your father has received him safe and sound, and we're going to have a feast. We're going to kill the fattened calf. Look, verse 28. He was angry, would not go in. Therefore, his father came out, pleaded with him. Look at verse 29. I want to show you this. So he answered and said to his father, Lo! In Greek, that means look here. That was disrespectful. That was, that was like shouting, screaming at his father, saying, You look here! You look here, Dad! These many years I have been serving you. I have never transgressed your commandment at any time, and yet you never gave me a young goat, that I make merry with my 
friends. See, addiction here, this is approval addiction. This is performance addiction. This is addicted to works. This is addicted to ministry. See, this guy is just as lost as a younger son, but the problem, hear me out. Some addictions are more sophisticated than others. Uh-oh. Some, of, some addictions, society and culture and Fortune 500 companies, they applaud. That's successful. You're great. You got a fat bank account. You have done amazing. Never done anything wrong. Your life looks great. But look at his heart. Listen, he's just as lost as a younger son. He's angry with his dad. He, he's literally lying and he's saying, I've never broke a commandment of yours. He spent his life trying to get his father's approval. And see, watch this. I'm going to show you something. Because 1 Corinthians 16 in the King James actually mentions the word addicted. And we're going to go there. I mean, you can go in and put that up. It talks about being addicted to the ministry. Watch this. 1 Corinthians 16, 14. It looks like a contradiction, but I want to show you something in here. 1 Corinthians 16, 14. Let all your things be done with charity. Say with. Come on. Say, say it again. Say with. With love. Watch. I beseech you, brothers, you know that the house of Stephanus, that at the first fruits of Achaia, he was the first convert. His whole house. Say house. It's important. Say house. His whole house. And they have addicted themselves to the ministry of the saints. So the Bible talks about addicted here. It's actually the Greek word tasso, and it means to be devoted. It, it kind of has kind of a different connotation, different definition as our Western view of what addiction looks like. Paul is simply saying that the house of Stephanus was devoted to the work of the ministry. It means, it could be translated as appoint. It could be translated as ordain. It can even be translated as orderly. See, when you're in addiction, watch this. You order everything around that thing. Your whole life revolves. It's ordered around that thing. So, I'm talking about performance addiction. I'm talking about to not be addicted to ministry, but yet the Bible talks about being addicted to the ministry. So is it good or is it bad? Listen, ready? Anytime there's a contradiction or, or, or a seemingly contradiction in scripture, did you know revelation lies in the middle of two seemingly contradictory ideas? It's found in the tension of this. So is addiction to ministry, is it bad? Or is addiction to ministry good? The key is verse 14. Let all things be done with love. Come on. The elder son in Luke 15 was doing things for love. But addiction to ministry, if you do it with love or from love, you're already going to know you have your father's approval. So you're not going to be doing it for team two, or you're not going to be doing it for your pastor, or your executive director, or your boss. You're going to be doing it with love. With love, from love, not for love. That means if you don't get a pat on the back or you don't get the applause of men or you don't get the notoriety from culture for being so great at what you do, you're good because you're not doing things for love. You're doing things from love. See, and I've met, I've met a lot of churches, they love drug addicts to come off drugs because they want to get them to, addicted to ministry. <laughs> Oh, well, that's not, oh, 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 oh. I mean, you, I ain't going to go into the stories. I ain't even going into the stories. But we applaud it. Man, he's serving. Man, he's doing amazing. He's here every night. 
He's doing things for love, not from love. Paul is applauding the house of Stephanus because he says, let all things be done with charity. It's the word ainagapio. It literally means to rest in a place of love. The Greek literally says, they're resting in love. And watch this. They know when to serve, when to show up in church, but they also know when to devote themselves to the ministry of self-care. Self-care. Come on, that's what our pastors are doing right now. They're taking a little time off for self-care. Guess what that is? That's addicted to the ministry. They're being devoted to the ministry of themselves more than the ministry of other people. You know when it's time for me to take a vacation? When I'm walking in the parking lot and I start running for people. Oh God, oh God, where's my car at? If you see me running, just tell me to take some time off. Because that means my tank is empty. I got nothing left to give. And I'm seeing another person that wants something from me. And I'm like, God, I just want to get into my car because I just, want, I just got to listen to something and get into the presence of God because I am absolutely poured out. That's not a good place to be in. I don't want people to be addicted to ministry for the love. I want them to be addicted to ministry, devoted to ministry because they're so filled up with the love of Jesus. They know when to, they know when to show up and they know when to rest. Come on. So let me change gears a little bit. Most of us live in this place on the fence and we've had an experience with God. We've been born again, brought into the kingdom of God, filled with the spirit of Jesus and we're a child of God. But we have never learned how to be all in because we have things that we're still chasing because we have holes in our heart. We're looking for things to satisfy and we're looking for things that give us instant gratification that will fill us eternally. F listen, watch, listen. False holiness will give you temporary relief. Let me say it again. False holiness, God is holy, he's whole. So this eternal problem in our heart, only God can fill it. So if we're looking for temporary things, the relief is gonna be temporary. That's why drugs have half-life. That's why pornography sessions, they only last so long. That's why the money in your bank account, you ain't taking it to your grave. Temporary holiness, wholeness, temporary relief but eternal holiness from the source, eternal relief. And we're gonna end up there and we're gonna talk about this. This unnamed woman that tasted that something other than husbands could make her whole. She had a codependency problem. So you're gonna find this morning over the next few minutes, we're gonna weave in and out of theology and psychology. We're gonna, we're gonna wind in and out of it. And you're like, oh my God, is Matt Johnson getting liberal? Turn into, I'm not turning liberal or turning into a scientist. I'm trying to show you how science and Jesus work together because Jesus is the author of science. All science does is testify of his glory. It testifies of his glory. So let's look at some more scriptures this morning. Are you guys doing okay? Are you learning something? I learned nothing. I'm just mad. My pastor called me an addict. I'm just mad. I'm mad. Come on. Call myself one too. All right, watch this. Go to Romans 1, 23 through 25. I want to show you something. This is the problem. I'm not going to get stuck on this. It's my favorite chapter to preach on. I'm not going to get stuck on this. Paul is indicting all of creation. 
Once he talks about the, the gospel is the power of God to everyone that believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, in it the righteousness of God and is revealed from faith to faith. And then he goes into the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all unrighteousness in a man who suppressed the truth in unrighteousness. And then he's saying God shows himself through creation. God has literally revealed it to every man. It's in the heart of man. So there's no excuse. So Paul is indicting all of humanity. He's saying all of, there's no one in humanity that's ever lived and breathed that has an excuse. Because God testifies of himself through creation, through conviction, through morality. Even if, listen, this is what's so crazy. He says in Romans 2, even if you've never heard the gospel, your thoughts are excusing or they're telling you, hey, that's good. That's, that's conscious. So he's opening up this argument, but he says, and this is the issue. This is what we all do. Watch, look at the screen. And we change the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man. Blaise Pascal, a, a, uh, he's a French mathematician. In his writing, he makes this statement. Listen to what he says. He says, this is the problem with humanity. We have been created in the imagio Deo, in the image of God. Amen? Can, can I get another amen? We are the image of God, the imagio Deo. It's Latin. It means image of God. But the problem is we've returned the favor. Did you hear that? We've returned the favor, meaning we've reduced the God that we know into an image that looks like us. And I think Moses is kind of tapping into this in the first commandment. It says, thou shall have no other gods before me. Guess who he's talking about? He's talking about you. Do not make a brazen image of anything. This is what we've done. We've taken the image of God and we've reduced it to the image of man. And what we do, we've replaced worshiping God for the worship of self. Let's keep going. Next scripture. Therefore God gave them up to uncleanness and the lust of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves who exchange the truth. Say the truth. Say it again. Say the truth. The truth of God for the lie, the truth for the lie. He's saying this is the issue. It's not all the behavioral issues that we talk about. It's not all the fruits of sin that we talk about. It's not all the lust of the flesh, the 17 that Paul defines in the same chapter. But literally, this is what he says. This is the problem. We worship creation over the creator. That's addiction. Let me say it again. That's addiction. When we worship creation over the creator, when we reduce God to an image that looks like us, and we are, God, listen, God is cool with you loving yourself. You gotta love yourself, but you can't be in love with yourself. You can't love yourself more than you love God. Because if you love yourself more than you love God, your life will be littered with destruction because you will do what makes you feel good, what gives you relief all the time. So this is the issue. It's worshiping creation over the creator. So let's talk about just a few of the addictions. I named some earlier. I'm going to go through these really quick, and then we're going to go the problem, but then we're going to go to the practical answer. Come on. The practical answer. So the first one is substance abuse disorder. This is drugs, alcohol. All right? We understand what sex addiction is. Let me just, just go over this really, just really quickly. Sex addiction is the physical or carnal act of sex is the end justifies the means. If somebody's, if it's a sex addiction, it's about the physical experience of sex. 
It's about getting to that point. And once you've got to that point, your flesh is fulfilled. But watch. Say sex in love. Say sex in love. Oh, I know, y'all. We can't say that in church. Sex in love. Just say it. We should be, listen, if we don't define what it is, we allow culture to define it for our children. If we don't talk about it, we let culture talk about it. And I'm tired of culture trying to disciple my kids. Listen, your, your kids are always being discipled. Your kids are always being discipled. The question is, who are they being discipled by? So sex in love addiction, what I'm also going to call codependency, is the physical act of sex is the doorway to intimacy. Somebody that's in sex in love addiction, they will have the act of sex, but it's to get to intimacy. It's get to emotional safety. It's getting to security. It's a doorway for greater intimacy. Intimacy into me you see and into you I see. It's not just one-sided. Okay, that's codependency. Then we have, uh-oh, men of God. Y'all wanna have like a small group for all the Amazon packages that come in three or four times a day, you know what I'm saying? Come on, you wanna get together and talk about our wives a little bit? Hey, let's don't, you better not turn to your left or right and look at her. Just look at me and laugh. And just, you know what I'm saying? Let's talk about it. What, listen, shopping impulsive spending addiction. That's when you can't stop spending your money. What's driving you? Listen, you don't need 37 jars of perfume or cologne. Come on. You got oh, 37 pairs of shoes? All right, keep going. Gambling addiction. Food addiction. Exercise addiction. Exercise addiction. Why are y'all laughing? Social media addiction. I promise you that's going to be in the manual for statistical mental health issues, the next one. I promise. I can't promise if I, okay. I think I prophesy, hopefully, all right? It'll be in there. And then work, ministry, success, addiction. Look at this. So you got financial, you got food, you got sex, you got, you got drug and alcohol, you got gambling, you got exercise, you got everything. You got all, so what is, what is yours? What is yours? What are you driven by? What is yours? And see, all of these, guess what they come? What, guess what science is saying the reason is? Listen, listen. The Bible calls it root issues. The Bible calls it iniquities, okay? The Bible calls it hollows. I'm gonna take you there in a little bit. But you know what psychology calls it? Trauma. Trauma, say trauma. They used to define trauma such as, usually three categories, such as like, like near death for a military person at war or their friend dies or extreme physical harm to the body like a car accident or like a, like a violent attack, or like a sexual rape or molestation. Those were like the, the main things of trauma that they, that they made PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder. But what they're finding out now is there's a lot more things that cause tra- trauma. Do you know the, f- listen, do you know the first 18 months is the most important developmental time for a human being? Oh gosh. There's psychological, spiritual, social, emotional, Physical development happens that wires their personality. I don't want to step on some toes here, but like, gosh, I don't want my kids to be introverted. Uh-oh. I want to be expressed the image of God or who they are. So there, there's all these things that happen in these early stages of life 
that we actually need to take ownership of, but I'm not talking, listen, don't hear what I'm not saying. I, I will never vilify the perpetrator. What does that mean? I will make, never make a villain out of the parent because I will be a villain to my children in some ways. Um, well, I'm not gonna be a villain to my, ch- you already have. You already, y'all don't like this. Y'all, I know y'all don't like this. But listen, as parents, we all jack up our kids. And guess what? Our kids will jack up their kids. <laughs> You're not gonna do it perfect. You're gonna cause codependency issues. You're gonna cause issues with the goodness of God. Daddy, if you're detached, guess what? They're gonna think Yahweh is. Oh, he's attached, he's transcendent. He's like, he's there, but I like, I can't get to him. That's, God, I'm not, I'm just gonna stick to fathers. I'm not gonna just start picking on moms. I don't, you know what I'm saying? (laughs) I don't want moms to be mad at me. But listen, we have to understand that like we're gonna be the perpetrator one day. We're going to be the villain one day. Like, we're, we're just characters in our children's story. But if we're mindful and aware that everything that we do matters, and I'm not talking about a gospel for perfection, but I'm talking about a gospel that does leave room for mistakes. But to go to our children when they have, when they have the ability to understand, hey, I've made mistakes here. Hey, I shouldn't have acted this way here. I, I need to apologize here or have conversations with our parents about maybe what we went through, what was said to us. You know what that causes? That causes healing for us and it causes healing for the next generation all right don't be mad at me this morning okay I'm just telling you all the new stuff I'm learning is that cool all right let's go to the, up to that slide Amanda up to that slide in Luke chapter 15 it's hollow do you, did you get it for me oh no that's my point that's my that's my last point Amanda you just gave away oh you don't got it okay cool all right so let me go back to Luke 15 real quick, and I want to show you something. This is important. So go back to Luke 15. Your fing- well, your, I didn't tell your finger to be there, but just go back. Just go back to Luke 15. All right, look what happened. Luke 15, verse 16, and look what he says. He would have gladly filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate, and no one gave him anything. All right, I had a slide. It was a Greek word, but look at the word stomach. Say stomach. It is the, thank you. That's not an introverted kid. Yes. Gold star for parents. Yeah. Right. Shouting in church. We're Pentecostal. Bless God. All right. Fill his stomach, right? Say stomach. It means, did you know it means hollow? It means hollow. It's kaleo. It literally means hollow. So he would gladly have filled his hollow with the paws that the swine did eat. I've heard it said before that what he was wanting to eat was corn husks. And that like, you can eat corn husks, but they really don't have a lot of nutritional value whatsoever. So watch this. He could have died of starvation full. Ain't that like overdose? Ain't that like, you know, you're dying full, but you're malnourished? But we can't blame that just on the addict or the alcoholic. Man, a lot of us will die full, but we're gonna go before God spiritually bankrupt. Fill our houses. We fill, and I'm not, listen, I want, I want to have a lot because I want to be the lender, not the borrower. Like, that's the will of God for his people. I'm not a poverty preacher. I'm a prosperity preacher, but we have to define what prosperity looks like. Prosperity is my kids serve Jesus. My kids know who they are. 
I have something to give them when I die because a righteous man leaves an inheritance for his children and their children. This is, but we all have this hollow. It's a hole. It literally is a hole. And he would have gladly filled his hole and his belly with what the pigs were eating, something that couldn't sustain or satisfy. And watch this. Go to Philippians chapter 3. Amanda, put up Philippians chapter 3. I want to show you something. This is Paul, and I think verse, is it 13? 17? 17? 17? For many walk, oh, it's 18. It's right there. I didn't even see that. Golly. For many walk, of whom I have told you often, and now tell you even weeping, that they are enemies of the cross of Christ. Say enemy. All right, keep going. Thank you. <laughs> whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly. Say belly. Guess what word that is? Hollow. So go back to the first scriptures, 18. For many walk, many, of whom I have told you often. Paul's like, I've told you this issue many times, and I'm even tell you, telling you, and I'm feeling tears come out of me because I know it's such an issue, even in the body of Christ, that they are enemies of the cross of Christ. Watch. Keep going. Whose end is destruction, whose God is their hollow. That's addiction. Who your life is orderly revolved around the hollow within. And you spend your life saying, fill me and feed me. And watch, whose glory is in their shame. Hollow feeding will always lead to shame. Why? It's because we keep doing something that we know is destroying us and we feel less than. And guess what happens when you're in perpetual shame? You want to feel better. So it's this cycle. I do something that I know is wrong. And I know it's destroying me, addiction. And the result is what? My shame, which makes me feel less than. There's something wrong with me. It's messing with my identity. This is who I am. I cannot get out of this cycle, this pattern, whatever it is. And then what happens? If you're in a lifestyle of shame, you want relief, and you keep doing the same thing again and again and again and again. Because why? You just want to feel better. I tell my guys all the time, I said, why do you think you used? Because it worked temporarily. So put up this point. We don't, we, we don't go. I want, it, I want it. Addiction at the core is a worship problem, but also go to the third one. Watch. All people in active addiction make themselves an enemy to the cross of Christ. Uh-oh. I didn't get no... You're not reading it right. I did not say they're an enemy of Christ. Read it. All people in active addiction make themselves an enemy to the cross of Christ. Why? Because the cross is where the addict goes to die. Oh, man. Don't make me start being Pentecostal in here. I'll do it. I'll you want me to see a white boy preach? I'll preach. I promise you. The cross is where the addict goes to die. Because, well, listen, listen, I don't pet someone. I talk about their trauma, what they've been through. I mean, I will cry with them. But my, my supervisor told me, hey, listen, you can cry with them, but don't cry harder than they cry. <laughs> because you didn't go through that. And eventually, you've got to bring them out of that. And see, the gospel says that the cross is where the addict goes to die. What does that mean? We have to understand what he's talking about in Galatians chapter 2. I have been crucified with Christ. 
Listen, I don't, I do not argue whether they're born an addict or born gay or any of that. Jesus doesn't even speak into it. He says, you gotta be born again. You gotta be born again. So I don't argue whether it's a DNA or genetic issue because I can argue both ways. Is it natural? Yes. Is it spiritual? Yes. But the cross is the answer. Why? Because I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live. I might have been an addict. You might have been an alcoholic. You might have had a sex addiction. But the cross is where you go to die. I don't get that, Pastor. Jesus died for me. You were with him. Because when you were born again, the Bible says literally, it was a transaction that was timeless. And the Holy Spirit put you in Christ, literally. And that's why Paul says 147 times, in Christ, in Christ, in Christ. That's why he says in Romans chapter six that the old man was crucified with him, that we should no longer be slaves to sin because he who has died is free from sin. We have died with Jesus and we have to understand that. Science says yes, this is going to be an issue. And listen, I, I don't debate that because remember what Paul says when he's talking about his issue. He says, yeah, it's in my flesh. You might always have triggers. You might always have things that come alive and cravings. And you're like, God, I prayed that this thorn would leave me. Uh-oh, 2 Corinthians 12. I asked that this thorn would leave me. And he says, my grace is sufficient for you. My grace is sufficient for you is you have to understand that the power of the cross, what Jesus went through was effectual for you. That I know you're not being crucified right now in the flesh. On June 26 in 2022, there's not a crucifix up here getting on, but you are with him. And if you can believe it, you can be free. That's why I'm not an addict. The addict died on the cross with him. That's why you're not addicted to pornography that died on the cross with him. Well, what about if I just want to be successful and I want to have a lot? As long as it doesn't steal from your children. And I'm talking about your heart. Your children don't want your hand, they want your heart. And I'm going to say it again. Man, if I have a church of 5,000 people one day and my kids hate me, I'm a failure. I'm a failure. Because remember, the litmus test of the kingdom of God and what success looks like is not numbers. It's not numbers. Go to the Gospels. Jesus had the biggest church probably at that time. In John 6, it said 5,000 men came to him. Most scholars believe there was 20,000 people. You know what he did? He's, biggest church split right there. He said, eat my blood. I mean, drink my blood, eat my flesh. Drink my blood, eat my flesh. And they said, oh my God, this is a hard statement. Who can follow it? And you know what John 666, six, six, uh oh, 666, six, six, John, look at it, John 666, six, six, John 666 says, and many disciples did not follow him anymore. And they said, who can hear this? Biggest church split. Because it's not numbers to God, it's quality. Because Jesus knew something in that moment. He goes, yeah, I might have 20,000 people, but I'm gonna remove 19,988 of them because I know that the 12, if I do discipleship that's quality, they're gonna change the world and turn it upside down. That's what Acts says. So the cross is where the addict goes to die. Watch this. 
put this up for the next one. Addiction, watch this. Addiction will always lead to isolation, but recovery begins with connection. Oh, I don't believe that, Pastor. They don't. No. Okay, men of God. Men. Look at pornography in front of your spouse. See what happens. <laughs> okay. Mic drop. Go home. Nice day. No, it, eats, it leads to isolation. Well, I, I, I drink socially because it, it makes me, you know, be more like have a greater personality and I can talk and I can, I'm funny and I tell jokes. It'll eventually lead you to isolation because the funny guy that's hiding behind alcohol and comedy is really going to end up hurting everyone around you. You're going to hurt everyone around you and you'll end up in isolation. I'm going to be honest. I'm, I'm, can I be vulnerable in here? Man, I would do blow, I would do cocaine, go to parties, have a good time, and after years of it, I would do it by myself in my apart room, my apartment. By myself. Why? I was in shame. I would do things by myself. So do you. you do things by yourself. It might start out with friends and with public, but if you keep doing them, you're going to be like Adam and Eve, and you're going to go hide behind the bushes. And then you're going to cover yourself with lies called fig leaves. Oh, I'm not doing that. Mm, no. No, that's what we do. But recovery begins with connection. Say connection. I'm going to read something to you real quick. This is, this is powerful. This is written by, this is in, this is a TED Talk. <laughs> All right. Uh, this, is, was, this was in Psychology Today um, in, 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 uh, in 2015 publication of Psychology Today. And then um, it's also, um, it's on uh, Dr. Asher's website. He's a clinical professor of psychiatry at the University of Pennsylvania. And this is what he said. So one of the ways this understanding of addiction evolved, what they're trying, what the premise they're trying to prove, this applies to you. This is biblical. I'm not just giving a secular article. I'm, I'm showing how they're integrated. The, listen, you've been taught your whole life that the opposite of addiction is sobriety. The opposite of addiction is connection. Let me prove it. Watch this. One of the ways this understanding of addiction evolved was the famous study in the 1980s of a rat in a cage. Given a choice between water laced with drugs or pure water, most often the rats chose the drugs. They eventually became addicted, consuming the drugs repeatedly until they died. Bruce Alexander, professor of psychology in Vancouver, noted that perhaps the rats resorted to the drug because they are all alone in the cage with no stimulation. Isolation. Isolation. You're going to go to the drugs every time. Isolation. But he put, watch, listen. But he put the rats in cages with other rats. Toys, tunnels, food. And noted that rats in a social situation will react differently. So he put them all in a group. They had community. They had connection. It was like a local church of rats. What? Some of these rats tried both types of water, but they did watch, but they didn't become heavy users of the drug-laced water. None of the rats died. None of the rats died. Alexander carried out additional studies with rats and discovered that if he took solitary drug-addicted rats and placed them in a cage with other rats and social stimulation, they no longer heavily used the drug-laced water. Practicality. What do you do with it? You've, I've defined it. It's something you keep doing that's destroying yourself. It's not just suds, drug and alcohol addiction, substance use disorder. It's relationship addiction when you're addicted to your relationship. Some of you guys, like, li literally, like, like, you're so in this codependent relationship 
that you'll go through months and months of it great and then you'll just explode because you feel like your needs are not being met because you're always taking care of their needs. If they're, if they're okay, you're okay. If they're okay, you're okay. And we've gone through gambling. And we've gone through food addiction. We've gone through social media addiction. We've gone through shopping addiction, that it's all caused by trauma, all caused by pain, root issues in our life, nurturing that literally is causing us to search for things. But the practical steps is, watch this. You can't do this alone. You can't do this alone. You have to come into connection with the body. I know. Oh, I got one. I know. Hey, thank you for the one guy. My boy up there. Thank you for the amen. You got to come in connection with the body. Oh, uh, I, just, I, know. I know. I know. Because honestly, like this altar if I have an altar call, should be filled, filled with people who are like, man, I'm taking this too far. This is taking my energy. This is taking my time. This is stealing my relationship. I'm not even identifying and diagnosing what your issue is. You know it. But guess what the Bible teaches? The Bible teaches you walk in the light as he is in the light. You have fellowship with one another. Meaning come out of darkness, take your issue to the light, and you have fellowship with one another. And you know what it says happens? It says you're going to be cleansed with the blood of Jesus. Which means that you're taking the very thing that the enemy is holding you in hostage of. The thing that you vowed to take to your grave. The thing that you're like, I can't tell anyone. I don't want anybody to know about this thing. Because you want to know why? Because of shame. Because if I tell them what I've been doing, then they're going to look at me like there's something fundamentally wrong with me. But the Bible says the cross is the place that the addict dies. The cross. Okay, can I give you a revelation this morning? And I'm about to close. How did Jesus Christ defeat sin on the cross? Was he naked just before his father? Or was he naked before the father and men? You want to be free? Make a public spectacle of your sin. You want to be free? Make a public spectacle of your sin. I'm not talking, oh, give me the mic, pastor. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about come up here and join with someone that understands the power of prayer that can take you by the hand and to walk you through the stages of recovery with accountability. It's not that hard. It's not that hard to get free. It's not. It's hard to control your flesh. But I promise you, if you've had people walking with you, checking on you, calling you, inviting you to freedom group Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, inviting you to small group Tuesday and Thursday, well, that, don't get too addicted to ministry, but I'm saying walk with people. Connection. Connection. It's connection. It's the body of Christ coming together. Listen. I heard a man of God one time by the name of Damon Thompson say, before we have revival, we'll have revealable. <laughs> before we have revival, we'll have revealable. Meaning, the things that we've been holding onto, we have to like disclose before one another. Expose. Confess your sins one to another that you may be healed. Is anyone among you sick? Let him pray. Is anyone afflicted? Let him call. Let, what, we, can, I, can I give you something? We actually do it wrong in church. The you know what James 5, the text says? If anyone among you is sick, the Greek word is afflicted. 
doesn't mean just physical ailment. It could be anything. Beset. If anyone among you is afflicted, watch. Let him call forth the elders of the church. The preacher guy, we call you up for it. But the word of God says, you, you call forth the leaders in the church. You call forth the leaders in the church. And you say, I got an issue. I need to be free. I got an issue. I need to be free. Last part. I'm ending. Golly, I'm going long. Sorry. Sorry, pastor. I'm ending. I know. Sorry. Okay. John 4. Real quick. John 4. Go to John 4. I'm going to read 13 through 18. John 4, 13 through 18. This is the woman at the well. We've heard this so many times in here. This is where Jesus talks about worship and he defines worship. But you want to know what he says that the Father is looking for? Listen. Everyone look at me right now. Look at me. I'm ending. I promise. The Father is not looking for worship. The Father is looking for worshipers. Such the Father seeketh. Such you and me that worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Everyone say truth. This, this is, recovery is about truth. Aletheia, our pastor, does a brilliant job teaching us. It literally means to come out of hiding. Remember to come out of isolation, to come to the light. Truth, Aletheia, exposing yourself before God, exposing yourself before men, exposing yourself and submitting to accountability, submitting to covenant, submitting to walk with people that know about your issue so they can be bishop of your soul because they must give an account to the Father for you is what scripture says. Jesus answered, said to her, he's, he's interacting with this lady at the well. He goes 15 miles outside of his path to get to her. He was heading to Jerusalem. He goes to Samaria. I love the way the King James Version reads. It says he must needs go to Samaria. He must needs. He had to see her. He had to deliver her. He had to go to this nameless woman at the well. He's talking to her. He said, whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. Addiction. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. Worship. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water that I may not thirst nor come here to draw. Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come here. Watch, go back. Amanda, go. I want them to see this. Go call your husband and come here. We miss this. Jesus knew she didn't have a husband. But he knew that for the woman to be free, she had to tell the truth. Oh, you're not, do you get it? Do you get it? All right. Jesus said to her, go call your husband. She said, I don't have a husband. The woman said, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you have well said I have no husband, for you have had five. And the one whom you now have is not your husband, in that you spoke truly. Do you see what's happening here? Jesus knows. He knew, he knew she had five. And he knew that the man she lived with in this very moment was not her husband. Codependency, addiction. Some of you go from relationship to relationship. You want to know why? I'm going to diagnose you right now. You don't know what you like. You like what you know. You don't know what you like. You like what you know. Same person, different name. Same abuser, different name. Same violator, different name. Only thing you've ever known. Jesus knew that though. He set her up. He set her up. He says, I bet when he asked that in his heart, he was like, come on, lady. 
Come on, but you have to come out of hiding. You have to admit. You have to admit where you've been living. You have to admit your issue. You have to want freedom. You have to come out of darkness. You have to take off the fig leaves, come out of hiding, and admit the person I'm living with is not my husband. And Jesus says, yes, 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 yes. Proverbs 6.16, I'm in here. says, by mercy and truth, iniquity is purged. Watch this. Mercy by the name of Jesus blew into Samaria. He went 15 miles out of his way for a nameless woman so she could have an encounter with truth. So watch this. Mercy is God's part. Your part is truth. The mercy of God will come to you. The mercy of God will come to you and he will ask you if you want to be free. But it's your response to live in truth like the woman to say, this is who I am. This is what I've been doing. Yeah, you got it right. But I want to be free because I need something that's going to fulfill the hollow within. So put up the last point, Amanda. Watch this. I'm preaching like Pastor Tom. This is something he would say. The answer to your hollow is his holy. The answer to your hollow is his holy. The only thing that was going to fill the hollow, the hole within is going to be an encounter with the truth and have an encounter with mercy. But mercy is God's part. Truth is your part. We have to admit it. We have to come to the light. And we have to allow the Holy Spirit to do what only he can do. Watch this. Isn't it amazing how as humans, one more time, just look at me. One more time. I know, one more time, one more time. Isn't it amazing? As humans, my wife taught me this, so good. She said, we go and we look for relief from the outside in. But the way God heals us, he heals us from the inside out. Babe, you should have preached this message. You know what I'm saying? That was the best point of the day. We look for all these things, whatever it is, to fill the hollow. God, 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 looking for relief. And see, behavioral modification doesn't work. It doesn't work. You can be good for a while, but then if you're broken in here, it's going to come out. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. It's not what goes into a man that defiles him, but what's come out of its heart. For out of the heart comes evil thoughts and murders and adulteries. It's here. It's hollow. The things that we're looking for are not going to fill us. But Jesus is the one that heals us from the inside out. The answer for your hollow is his holy. Because remember, to get eternal relief, it's going to take a holy God And Jesus says, listen, if you tell the truth, if you step into the light, if you want recovery, then out of your belly, out of your belly, out of your belly, here shall flow rivers of living water. That's holy. That's him. That's fulfillment. I'm not saying you won't make a mistake again. I'm not saying you won't crave. But you will return to the fountain of your youth because you have tasted and seen that he is good. You know that you've tried everything that the world doesn't fill. The world doesn't provide eternal relief. Yeah, it'll fix you for a little bit. It'll put a Band-Aid on the pain. But the only thing that's going to heal is an encounter with Jesus and the Holy Spirit speaks. And he changes and he transforms from the inside out. So can everyone stand up? Thank you for joining us for the New Hope Sermon of the Week. For more information about this podcast or other resources, visit newhopeonline.com.